The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be looking back at Fulham's 1-0 defeat to Nottingham Forest as the Whites miss the chance to clinch the title on Tuesday evening. Bournemouth's draw would have meant a win for Fulham, would have had the title completely in the bag, but it means we'll have to wait till at least the Luton game to hopefully get that trophy in our hands, just assuming that we don't somehow bottle it from here. We'll also look a bit back at all of the Bournemouth antics with Peter and look ahead to Monday's game against Luton. We've got some correspondence and then this will catch on at the end. We have a couple of belters today and it is the regular Thursday club. Fulham's writer for The Athletic UK, Peter Rutzler. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. And Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Peter. How are we? We're all good. Fine, thank you. Although last night wasn't the greatest of matches. Uh, Jack, let's do some three-word reviews from last night. What are the best ones that came in? Um, yeah, I quite liked there were a few of these, actually. Um, Stephen Sheldrake, fueling forest fire. Um, Sol Bamba, tortoise or hare, which was enjoyable. Rachel <laughs> Stephen Shaw with Robin the Hood. Uh, Gloss being tarnished. Uh, Matt Wall with stage fright night. Um Dave MCC1 with Trent Troubles Thames. Uh, <laughs> Neil Law's three points lost. Very good. Uh, oh. Tom Bradford said crying out Stroud. Um, and Andy Brooker with perhaps the best of the lot. Shit ref of Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It's just exceptional. Just wow. Unbelievable. That's so good. That is so good. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for all your uh, three-word reviews as ever. Do get involved after every match. There is something just about three-word reviews after defeats that just extra relish on them. Uh, Let's look back at the game then. And it was a frustrating night at the cottage, uh, a mix-up for the goal between Ream and Rodak. And then Fulham had 20 shots on goal, only five of them on target. And if I'm honest, only a couple that really I would class as proper, proper chances. Um, it makes the promotion race and the championship very, very exciting. But Fulham surely will be gutted to have missed a golden opportunity to seal the title last night. Yeah, especially with the way the, the Bournemouth game panned out. Um, it seemed like it was on course to be a, a memorable evening. Um, but uh, it wasn't to be it wasn't to be I mean it's been a couple of really good tests I think Forest were pretty impressive as well the way they they pressed and the way they worked um, in that first half in particular and, and, and Fulham just weren't just weren't as sharp they weren't as weren't as uh, effective in possession um, and I think you know in the second half as you say they, they did push them back and created a number of chances and I suppose we've seen that a few times this season and I just get the feeling that in these sort of recent games, Fulham have lacked that cutting edge that really set them apart at key moments in, in the season. Um, that ruthlessness. I mean, they, they did create enough chances to score. Um, and I think maybe Fulham earlier in the season would have taken some of them. Um, but no, as you say, not to be, no no crowning at the cottage uh, this week. But uh, hopefully, <laughs> Assume, assuming uh, Bournemouth don't do the job for Fulham uh, at the weekend, um, it'll happen next week. 
Yeah, uh, Fulham need two points as it stands to clinch the title. One point effectively with goal difference. But of course, you can't exactly do a trophy celebration at Luton uh, if there is still a possibility, even if it would take uh, a mad goal swing. There's no way they'll uh, they'll get the trophy out and uh, and do the big um, parade. Um, Jack, just how worried are you by Fulham's dip in form? There seems to be such a contrasting reaction, if, if Twitter is anything to go by, between um, people on one scale saying, oh, it doesn't matter, we're up. It really is inconsequential what is happening in these games and it means little for the Premier League. Whereas there'll be people saying that Fulham's form really has been so patchy for a little while now. And you do just wonder about Fulham's lack of plan B coming from behind. It was one of those evenings where, okay, there was a couple of opportunities, but I actually never felt like there was a moment where Fulham are definitely going to score here. And if this is a Premier League match in waiting, then that's a little bit of a concern. Or is it a concern? That's that's the key question. If here. it's a Premier League match in waiting, it's a concern about how low the quality bar was. I'll give you that for free. Um, <laughs> A bit of both, really, right? Are, are people overreacting to a defeat to the form side in the division um, who had more to play for than Fulham um, and basically are fighting for their lives for their own automatic hopes? Yes, there's some overreaction in that regard. Um, but in terms of performance, and I, I think maybe this, the, the kind of worrying thing is that we've seen that performance before, right? That That's the concern, yeah. that we've seen Fulham do that exact game we'll play out that exact game before and there's a concern there that there isn't uh there's not the ability to kind of turn that around you know and and i think this is something we criticize parker for massively like when fuller went behind we really struggled and i think that there's an element of you know my uncle said this to me the other day but when fulham don't score in the first sort of half an hour at home we get a bit edgy um, and the fans get a bit edgy, get to half time, and it all feels a bit like, ooh, not c- completely comfortable. And it's not necessarily even being behind, it's not being ahead um, that, that I think Fulham struggle with sometimes. You know, yesterday, if the chances fall differently, do Fulham win that game? Yes. You know, in, in isolation, there's no problem with last night. You know, games like that happen. It's just the way of, it's the way of football. And, you know, like I say, Forest scrapping for their lives. They want, they're absolutely desperate to catch Bournemouth. There's an element of if Fulham had won the game at the weekend, I'd have been almost happy with that result. You know, if the fact that we, we didn't win the game at the weekend and we could clinch the title yesterday, it means that I'm not, I'm, you know, bitterly disappointed that Fulham didn't get over the line. But if we had effectively sealed the title against Bournemouth, then you could have been a bit like, go on then. Um, so there is that element of it as well. But ultimately, you, you look at how that panned out. And, and I think the main concern for me is that we've seen this before. We've really struggled to create. We've seen that full back off. Rodrigo Mooney's on substitution so many times. And it just doesn't work. Like, it ultimately, it Why just, are we doing it? Doesn't it doesn't work. It's the definition of madness is repeating the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. I suppose the kind of optics on it are that Fulham don't have any other options off the bench at, at that point to, to influence a game, right? And yes, I agree with you that it's not working, but... You know, Silver will be looking at that and go, well, what else can I do at that point? Right. And look, I agree with you. And I think that you, you, you can't seem, but also that's got to therefore be addressed in the summer, right? That if there isn't a plan B at the moment, and if Muniz isn't that player, and look, we've given him plenty of credit and plenty of criticism, I think, on this show in, in, in general. And 
he's looked ineffective when he's come on as a two. When he was given the opportunity on his own to lead the line, he's been far more, more effective and we've seen more from him. Does that mean that he's not a particularly good rotation piece substitute option? For me, probably yes. It does mean that next season, maybe he has to look at going out on loan to somewhere where he's going to, you know, going to get minutes, going to, going to be the kind of number nine and, and get that into the tank. Um, and Fulham need an alternative option, right? Because there's too many similarities. And I don't mean this in terms of like ability. I mean, it in, in terms of where they're trying to be on the pitch between him and Mitrovic, they don't work as a tandem. If you're going to play two up top, you need to get something in terms of, you know, players who enjoy playing together and work off each other. You need to bring in a striker of a different profile who's going to, you know, work around Mitrovic and play off him. And to be perfectly honest with you, I know obviously it didn't quite work out like this last night, but obviously because he started. But if you're bringing someone off the bench to be like a partner for Mitrovic, I'd rather see Bobby Reed in that role because I know yeah. that he can get about, he'll nip around, he'll be in the kind of areas that the ball gets knocked down into. Whereas Mitrovic and, and Mooney keep going for the same ball. It is that kind of, we're not learning from this mistake. And and look, whether, part, whether Silver is using this as a an opportunity to look, to go to the board and be like, look, I can't work with this next summer. This cannot be my option. Um, then, then, then maybe, but there's a lot to think about here in, in, in many ways. So yeah, I, I'm not concerned by that result. I'm not concerned necessarily even by that performance as a whole. I'm concerned that we've seen that before. My suggestion in that moment, right? Okay. You're going to throw the kitchen sink at them and you need to do something attacking and you're going to take off a fullback. So let's say you're taking off Joe Bryan. Cause that's what happens last night. I would have taken off Joe Bryan. I would put on Niskins Cabano and I'd take Dekadova Reed off the left wing and I would put him central with Mitro running off the back of the line. Yeah. That surely in that moment is going to uh, achieve a little bit more. I, it has to achieve more because the Mitro Muniz thing has, I looked back through the whole season. I was like, has this worked? Has this worked once? The only game I can see where he's made that late Muniz sub and something came of it was Barnsley Reading. away. He didn't really score Reading. Yeah, he scored one against Reading. There's there's that one. But even then, a very poor Reading team and we couldn't get two goals, right? I mean, one other game that we managed to come back from late in the game was Bournemouth at home. We didn't make that sub. We hadn't made that sub. And we got an 84th minute equaliser, mostly by trusting the process. That's my thing. You've got a striker in the box that scored 41 goals. Like, we're not struggling for someone that can put the ball in the net. He just needs some service. Yeah, I, I just think it's partly about optics. And I think that if you have a striker on the bench and you're chasing a game, then the, the kind of crowd are going to demand that. Now, I don't necessarily think that's right. And, you know, you've also got to be a bit strong and be like, look, I did what I did. But if Muniz is saying to me, gaffer, you know, we need a goal. Am I ever going to come on if we're not, you know, we're, we're in the lead and we were looking for a goal? Like, wh when else would I come on to a game? Can I, can I make a point on this? Like, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, this is clearly the, the, the sort of uh, fullback for, for Silver is the free, this 3-5-2 three, and then both Muniz and, Mi and Mitrovic and they're very similar style. But I think when, when this substitution happens and you actually look at what the game is like at the point of the change, it is literally Fulham against a team camped around the edge of their own box. So I know we're talking about Decadova Reed potentially, I know either going beyond the, the centre-half or trying to drop into space when it's so crowded in those spaces anyway. And to be honest, at this point, you're looking at trying to hit targets in the box, realistically. Um, so I, I, I do kind of get it. And to be honest, would you see a similar thing next year in the Premier League? Probably not that often. Not in the same way that Fulham will dominate and, and pen a, a team back like that. 
he does go for the wing backs, and the wing backs are always wingers. Um, I, I do, I do agree. I think it seems to be that the pattern is this, and it's not always worked. And because Mitrovic and, and Muniz are similar, and the part of the problem last night, and as much as Mitrovic has done well when he's done it in you know in a, in a more open game where he drops deeper and is linking the play, there are times there because Muniz and Mitrovic are so similar. You've got Mitrovic on the edge of the box. And I think, I think I've, I've even said this quite recently on the podcast. So as, as Jack says, this is, this is not a new thing. Um, but that's what, not where you want him. You need him in there. You need him waiting in the, for, for that final ball to come into the box because there is that quality in those wide areas to, to do so. So yeah, may, maybe there is an element of that. Maybe there is an element of need to change, but at the same time, I don't, I don't see it as like inexplicable or, or anything like that. Whenever you're chasing a game and it is like that, it's always going to be difficult. Fulham should be better at it for sure. But I mean, in the context, it hasn't happened that much. And we're talking about a relatively small sample size. Yeah, I, I just, I, this one thing with Marcus Silver, he seems quite dogged. And if he's got an idea of how to do something, and I think this is what previous fan bases found out, that he, if he's wedded to an idea, even if it's not working, and I definitely think Everton fans found this. And look, fortunately, a lot of the mistakes that cropped up at Everton have not cropped up here yet, which is great. I'm just hoping in the summer he gets on the beach and he reads a book about how to try and restore a game from one nil down. Oh, that famous book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Written by me, Sammy James. This is how to do it, Marco. I, I wouldn't read that. Book. <laughs> it's a bestseller. It's number one in all good bookshops. Um, Peter, we should probably analyze the winning goal. It felt like it came at a moment that really took the wind out of the crowd's sail because we just all found out that Swansea had gone 2-0 up. The Hammersmith end was really getting excited. It was amazing when it was that kind of like final day of the league moments where one person in the crowd was almost like standing up because they were checking the Sky Sports app and then the rest of the crowd would cheer as we found out that Joel Perot had scored a second for Swansea. And then only moments later... <sighs> this mistake just has happened. And it, there's a lot of debate whether it was Rodak's fault, whether it was Ream's fault. I'm definitely in the camp of, I think Tim Ream needs to take charge there. And I think he misjudges the ball, but there is also a hefty argument that a good goalkeeper comes in and takes out whoever's in his way and, and, and just boots it into Rosette. So where do you stand? I think I did. I sort of went around the houses on Twitter about this because I think initially I blame Rodak on uh, first view and then second view I sit back. So, oh, and actually maybe it's Reem and then just sort of came to the conclusion I'm just going to sit on the fence here and say it was both. And to be honest, as you just outlined, it, it, there is a bit of both. Like, there's no, there's no doubt that that Tim Reem should clear that. I don't, I don't know why he doesn't. He gets across it. He's in a good position. Just put it, put it into the stands. Um, that's where there's a breakdown in communication, and that's 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 two sides. That's two sides. You can have Rodak screaming for him to clear it. Um, Reem's clearly expecting Rodak to claim it. Once it reaches six yard box, your keeper's got to take everything. You just there's there's no way Zinkenegel there's no way Zinkenegel should be getting the ball there. Um, I know I know Silver could make claim there was a foul in the build up and that, that looked like there was one on on Williams, but you know it's all about the mistake. Um, and yeah, I, I do agree about um, the atmosphere change because it was actually at that point. This is the whole ground because obviously for Forest it was massive too. So um, yeah. the place was buzzing um, at nil nil, um, and it seemed like quite a good end to end game. And Forest were threatening on the break. And and to be honest, to concede a goal like that against a team like Forest is is very disappointing because they they carry such a threat anyway. And, and Fulham seemed to have done okay against it. 
and it was just oh, it was very deflating because of the nature of it and, and immediately the the reaction on social media was that's it tim ream should retire and uh um Mike rodak you're done and it's yeah cool <laughs> there's a mistake here cool it's, it's one mistake and that doesn't discount for the whole season but at the same time yeah it does add into the the conversation about the premier league it does because these these are these are critical moments um in games and, and how you respond to them uh, i don't think you should write off a season because of this one error um but at the same time it, it is a part of it and i thought rodak responded pretty well actually um for the rest of the game he made that fantastic save in the second half to to deny sam surridge from close range i don't know how he saved it um um, that that that's encouraging as well. I think Reem had a difficult evening against Brennan Johnson. Um, there's a couple of times where he's just skipped away from him with, with speed, and we all know that Johnson's coveted by a lot of Premier League clubs, and um, is likely to be a, a, an opponent for for Fulham, whether he's at Forest or not next season. So, yeah. Uh, overall, where do I sit on it? Yeah, they're both, and I'm gonna stick to that. <laughs> no, I, I think it it just is a bit of both, isn't it, Jack? Ultimately, like there's. I just, as, as Peter alluded to, I, I don't think you can define people's future places at Fulham just based on one mistake and, and one moment. I mean, I guess in the case of Rodak, it's a, a series now of mistakes and errors. But in, te- in, in Tim Ream's case, I mean, we all knew he wasn't going to play next season anyway. Oh, I, let's just let's show let's just show a bit. I, just, I think I think I'm prepared to show a bit of respect for someone that has had an unbelievable season and in my eyes could have been in the team of the season had it not been for Tosin maybe getting the nod yeah it's just a, it's a strange one do you know what I mean like it ultimately it's a bit of a silly mistake there were some really odd things going on last night Joe Bryan and Tim Reed looked like they were having a barney like I'm not quite sure what, what all that was about they're shouting at each other you know, even when things seem to be going right for us. Um, so I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Everyone was getting quite frustrated yeah. all over the pitch, even after it that. Just felt like they, it just they felt like they kept going back at each other. I was like, you two all right? But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, emotions get high. Should Ream clear it? Yeah. I'm not sure what Tosin's doing in the build-up. He sort of just, like, bodies himself out of the way. Um, Rodak should probably come and get it. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, it is a comedy of errors in 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 some ways, a series of unfortunate events. And look, you know, I, I think that we've we've seen, you know, in Peter's piece, obviously today in the Athletic about Silver basically being like, get your head down and focus. Um, to Tamara Roda, stop worrying about next season and stop giving interviews about whether you're going to be on the bench or not, and and finish this season. Um, and and look, we said it a couple of weeks back on here, you know, ahead of the Coventry game, saying, look, is is Rodak's head, you know, gone because we've been linked to three other goalkeepers? And, uh, you know, at the time it was like, okay, maybe this is a bit of a stretch. But perhaps it is if Silver has come out and been like, focus on this season, stop worrying about things and we'll deal with that afterwards. Because there's no point trying to play for your shirt next season before this one has ended. You know, the, the best way to say, I'm the number one here and I'm not giving up this shirt is to perform. And in the last couple of weeks, yes, Rodak had a brilliant game against Preston, worth worth pointing out. Um, And he made an incredible save in the second half last night. But, you know, these things are creeping into his game and people are going to get on his back and that's going to worry players. It's going to worry a management. It's going to worry the board because they're like, well, that happens the next year. That is a goal we might not come back from. Obviously, we didn't last night either. But, you know, there are less, there is less of a margin for error in the Premier League. And small things like that can cost you. And ultimately, at the moment, whilst Marit Rodak is, has been brilliant this season and he deserves due credit, 
there is an element of it of being like, hang on, if you want to play for your shirt, let play for it. Don't talk about it. Play for it. Leave talking to us. Yeah. Um, Peter, <laughs> your article uh, is out in The Athletic. I don't mind if people talk to me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's like, don't yeah, put money in Stop ruining camp. my job. <laughs> um the piece in The Athletic uh, is titled Rodak Told to Focus as he tries to prevent dropping down Fulham's pecking order for the Premier League. Uh, you can read it now by signing up to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. It's, it's, it's a debate that's been going on for weeks. Marco Silva said he doesn't see re- reasons to be under pressure after the defeat last night. But clearly... I think he's going for a bit of a tough time road act because on one hand, he's probably happy that he's got Fulham promoted and that overall he's done an all right job, but it, it must be hard looking ahead and you're 25 and you're at a point in your career where sitting on the bench is not something you want to do, but only one goalkeeper can play. And if Fulham do get, it's, it's, there is no doubt. I think that if Fulham get offered a higher caliber goalkeeper that was within our price range, we will take that. Tony Hahn is not going to go, oh yeah, but Marek's a nice guy. It's going to be cutthroat, isn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, just the context, obviously Rodak gave this interview in Slovakia and, and in it where he says he doesn't want to be on the bench next season, he says, you know, football's a business. And at the end of the day, that's where it stands. And there's so much psychology here, you know, um, is this affecting Rodak as, as Jack was outlining, possibly? Clearly, he's, he's even vocalised it now, and you know, and, and no one would begrudge his comments. I think that's also worth saying, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Considering what happened last time, um, it, he he deserves it. it on on a basic, you know, merit sort of level. You've got two promotions. You deserve a a decent shot in the Premier League. But unfortunately, having that credit in the bank isn't enough on its own. You know, as, as Sammy, you were saying, because if Fulham can get a high quality goalkeeper, then why wouldn't they take it? And the goalkeeper position is so unique. It's not like anywhere else on the field where there's there's more scope for substitution in the game, there's more opportunities to impress. It's you're in or you're out. I mean, Paolo Gazzaniga has been out. You know, Rodak's done well to keep him out for, for most of this season. So if you have all of that playing on your mind, and, and clearly, you know, Silva was referring to the sort of, because uh, I asked him about whether it's this d- determination, this need to sort of get over the line for promotion and 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 secure the, the title and have a good evening. That almost you know, where you're, you're forcing yourself to have a good time kind of thing. You need, you're expected to have a good time, so have it. Um, whether that was affecting the team. And it seems a strange one because Fulham are in such a good position and, um, you know, I think there's definitely the element of the fact that they're at the top of the table and they're playing some tougher opponents at this point. I don't think we have to acknowledge that as well. But, but coming back to, to, to Rodak. Yeah, we need you know, to get used is... to that if we're playing tougher opponents. We're playing tougher opponents well, next season. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and also because, you know, the, the, this is the discussion now. The discussion is... Premier League. This is the thing about Fulham's promotion, and it's because it's been up and down. It's cool. You've done part one. Now let's see part two. Can you do part two? Who's going to be able to do part two? Who's going to be able to hang around? And and Rodak is, you know, straight away has that discussion over his head, and that's partly why maybe it feels like you know this his position could be um, under threat a little bit more than last time because it's it's you know it's it's imaginable. It's happened before, so you know you can see it happening again and. And Rodak will see that. So as Jack says, it's just about trying to just be steady, solid and consistent and, and keep himself, keep avoiding these mistakes because they have accumulated. It's, you know, there's been some great moments this season, but there's also been some, some mistakes. Um, and for him, it's, you've got to try and 
<laughs> weigh the odds in your favor as much as much as possible and at the moment i'd say particularly you know with an incident like last night as much as it was you know from blame reamers as well if not more yeah definitely. you know that doesn't that doesn't help jack i just want to ask and look, this might be me not or underrating certain goalkeepers because they're not the household names, but or they're not big international stars. But I look at a couple of teams in the Premier League. My two that I think of is Robert Sanchez at Brighton and Vincent Gaeta at Crystal Palace. I wouldn't say that Marek Rodak is a million miles from them. My question is... I think for, for what it's worth, I think Robert Sanchez should be David De Gea's long-term replacement at Manchester United. I think he's that good. Okay. And I think he should just, probably be Spain number one at this point. Like that. Okay. <laughs> no, but I, I certainly wasn't that impressed by Sanchez last season. I haven't seen an awful lot of Brighton this year to make a massive case. Just how important is a top level goalkeeper? Because I do then look through the rest of the Premier League and aside from um, maybe Tim Krul for Norwich and Ben Foster at Watford, I do think that every other team in the league has a, top class goalkeeper, even down to teams like Villa who haven't done that well with, with Martinez and, and Melier at, at Leeds. They've all got someone that is really high pedigree in goal. Yeah. Is it just a factor now that Fulham do need a top class keeper in order to stay in the league? It, it almost feels like it's gone up a level, the level of goalkeeping that you need. And maybe in past years gone by, you could get away with a quite average goalkeeper as long as you've got someone good up top or whatever. Yeah. I think you look at the bottom you know, the, well, especially the bottom two, as you say. Um, and, and the one that stands, always stands out for me in this regard is Southampton. Like Southampton just seem to have a rolling array of goalkeepers who are all relatively average. Um, so, so that's the, I suppose that's the counterpoint I'd look at if, if you were going to say, is it Fraser Forster, Alex McCarthy? The, you know. Fraser meh. Forster's got quite the reputation there. As uh, once upon a time, yeah, absolutely. I love Fraser Forster at Celtic, but like, ultimately, right now, I don't think he's that great. Um, and I think that there's an element of that, but that everybody else you look at and you go, yeah, pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Look, I mean, I, I'm hotter on Sanchez than most people are, clearly. Um, but like equally, there's an element of. I think he's come in and, and been really good. And, and, you know, one of the things that I we got linked with a couple of weeks back was Matty Ryan, who's been at Real Sociedad this year. Um, now, he's second choice behind Alex Romero, who I'm not completely convinced by full stop, um, which means that I don't know if I'd be going, yeah, let's get Matty Ryan back in the Premier League. Well, Brighton, fan, Brighton fans were delighted when Matty Ryan was dropped. He was really dropping clangor after clangor. Yeah, he was them. brilliant for a little while and then less brilliant after that. I, look, I, I think there is an element of you, you look at goalkeepers and, and, and especially at the bottom of the table, they save you points, right? And the top of the table, you're looking at keepers and going, they're winning you points. At, at, the, at the bottom, it's a little bit different. Um, and, and therefore, maybe the kind of maybe the reliance on having a safe pair of hands, having a comfortable goalkeeper who people aren't panicking about is more important towards the bottom of the table because, you know, it just gives you a sense of security um, in, in many ways. And, and, and I suppose that's the difference. Like it's not necessarily the 
how much of a difference is there between the caliber of these goalkeepers? Because obviously it's difficult to to judge that in the, in the wider scheme of things, um, especially because goalkeepers who like make more saves, who have higher save percentages, et cetera, et cetera, tend to be the keepers who face more shots. And therefore it's quite difficult to judge on statistics how good a goalkeeper is. I think there's an element especially at the bottom of the Premier League, where a keeper coming and claiming crosses, a keeper having a big presence, a keeper being able to dominate in terms of personality can be as much of a thing to fans as as other things. Now, look, we've seen this happen at Fulham before with goalkeepers who just didn't seem to inspire confidence and the fan base going like, don't like it, don't like it. And, and, and ultimately, we've seen... Fulham over the last two Premier League years have Sergio Rico and, and, and Alfonso Ariola come in, who are two very good goalkeepers and and command there. And and I wonder if that is partly the fact that the fan base gets comfortable with the idea that a keeper is coming to claim across that they might not be the best shot stopper in the world. They're not gonna, you know, stop you conceding a goal when a, a striker is through one on one. But if they are there doing the basics right, it just gives the fans behind the goal confidence and that transcends throughout the ground I suppose maybe that maybe that's something to just bear in mind Alphonse Ariola, Peter last year inspired so much confidence that we weren't in the ground with Ariola, so maybe we didn't have that kind of feeling that you do from a goalkeeper in the stadium but you only have to look at his reel of saves that he made never forget the the James Ward Prowse save from from that free kick there was a double save I think against Wolves um, which was just like unbelievable how he could manage to do that. I guess I don't even know what I'm trying to ask here, but maybe it is just a a, a sense of inevitability that the goalkeeper situation just isn't going to work out for Marek, is it? Because if you can get a goalkeeper of that caliber, and it seems like there are some around, we've been obviously linked with Ariola. We've also been linked with a goalkeeper like Dean Henderson, who is quite clearly a very, very good goalkeeper. I don't know what to say because I feel bad for Marek, but also at the same time, it just it just seems like one of those inevitable things that's going to be a consequence of getting promoted. But there's no right or easy answer to this. No, there isn't, and 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 that's that's the point with with Rodak, and it goes back to you know having that credit in the bank, and obviously he's been at the club since he was 16. There isn't there is a willingness for for it to work for him, but at the same time, as Jack was saying, you know you you want to feel that confidence and. And, and, and there is a point to the fact that Fulham, he hasn't been busy this season. I think uh, one of the stats in, the, in, in my piece this morning is that, you know, Fulham averaged you know, three shots on target face this, this season, so far anyway. Um, and they averaged over four last time. Um, so he was more important and you noticed him more because he played a more important role in, in more games. Um, different dynamic for a keeper, isn't it? It's, it's a different dynamic, but it means when you do see him, You've got to you've got to make it you've got to make it count. Um, and, and in the Premier League, you'll be much much busier. And your your point about Ariola being commanding is, is is right. Obviously, I was I was in the ground for most of it. It was very loud, very commanding, and is what you saw on TV is is what was what what it was like in, in in person. Really, the way he took control of crosses, punching, claiming the ball um, was a massive massive asset for for Fulham. And, and to be fair to Rodak, when he did play, he was exceptionally loud as well. He has a booming voice. You really can can hear it so you know it's it's we'll have to see i think it's it's i think we i think we've covered it pretty well in that alex smithies is out of contract this summer (laughs) (laughs) you know who else is out of contract this summer jesse yorinen bring him home okay hashtag bring him home 
Oh, good lord! Maybe Bet Bettinelli's probably out of contract at Chelsea. I don't know if it was a one year or two year, but yeah, bring him back uh, at, at the same time. We'll see what happens. I guess that's all we can do as fans. But um, fingers crossed, Marek can just go out if it is to be his kind of final two games in the team. Fingers crossed, uh, he can go out on a bit more of a high than he did after last night's uh, mistake. But he did make up for it big time uh, with that Sam Surridge yeah, save in the second half. Um, and as, as I said before, if you want to read Peter's analysis of the situation, uh, it's a really, really interesting look at the goalkeeper uh, conundrum for next season. You can sign up by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham at pod. We're going to take a break there. Afterwards, uh, a few words uh, from Peter on Bournemouth and then a look ahead to Luton on Monday. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. Um, Peter, we're not going to be discussing Bournemouth uh, at too much length, but there was so much off the pitch um, to get into from Saturday's game that I just wanted to get your thoughts. Plus, it was the Peter Rutzler derby, so it is only right that Peter Rutzler gets to comment on his own derby. Um, wow. Uh, an incredible not match because actually I thought what we saw on the pitch for large parts of it was two teams cancelling each other out, but just all the antics and the penalty and the, the goal decision for Mitro's goal, the Parker comments after the match, the chance from the fans, Marco Silva absolutely losing it. Hawkeye being questioned as a journalist on the day. You must've, uh, you must've slept well on Saturday night. Cause that was a, a big day and a lot going on. There's a lot, lot going on. And obviously, you know, it's Peter Russell Derby. So I was already emotionally pent up. So uh, right <laughs> over the edge it did. Um, no, it was good. I think, I think you summed up well. I mean, on the pitch wasn't, wasn't much to write home about. I mean, I, I tweeted, but I, I didn't think the referee, officiated very well I think he got the time wrong for the game and it just encouraged soft fouls and there were too many of them for what was a really tense game you know there's both teams were pressing hard um Bournemouth pressed very hard and very high and made it difficult they did make it difficult for for most of the game um but as you say there was so much drama um obviously the goals the penalty Silva got sent off the pictures from that of Silva grappling obviously he's been charged this morning by the FA uh for improper behavior so uh, he has to oh. Friday to respond to that yeah and off the field stuff yeah it was the off the field stuff as well with the with the chance like quite clearly i mean there was a i don't know it's been talked about already but you know there was a real uh selection of songs for scott parker um yeah you was obviously you were the other side of of it. Yeah, where yeah, the yeah, fulham yeah. fans were so you were right next to the dugout so anything that you could hear parker could oh hear. You, it was very clear yeah 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 everything everything was clear um and, he, and you got that sense when when parker came out and and made his comments um Again, it seems like uh, there's a grudge element uh, to, to, to this, and I, I, I can, you know, you can understand it, but at the same time, there's got to be a bit of self awareness about how last year ended and how that was going to be perceived. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it does feel like there's a real sour feeling now that's instilled. And um, and uh, yeah, I do wonder about Marcus Silva's comments this week as well when he was asked. Well, he, he was sort of asked about the squad for next season, and he, he said uh, there's been some lies. Uh, lies about the squad and um, didn't say who he was referring to but um, uh, about it not being the same team as, as last year so uh, yeah it does set up nicely and I suppose from a you know going forward it would be interesting to see how this sort of fixture goes forward um, especially if Bournemouth are promoted which which at the moment still still in their hands as much as it's in Forest now um, you know what, what that game will be like next year because again it'll be two teams fighting for the same things um, survival it'll be next year if they go up um and it's wrong Scott Parker's in the dugout there's going to be that 
that tension really um and you could feel it um you could feel it definitely um <laughs> was was he was he was he you know obviously we've seen the words that he said via your tweets and articles but was he was he upset was he like begrudging of it was he kind of like oh yeah it's just the world we're living in um i just trying to work out what his emotion was i mean the the sarcastic clap towards the fulham fans just screamed of someone who has let something get really under their skin yeah i mean i, I wouldn't say it was uh he shrugged his shoulders at it um i think he i think it, the, the response started with um you know you have to have a pantomime villain and hero and then then he went into you know how he actually felt about it so the fact that he actually i did think there was a feeling there i think i did i definitely think it affected him i don't think he would have said what he he said if it hadn't um so yeah i suppose that, that that's 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 where he's at um but yeah it's 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 one of those is it i think you know he's he's, he's going to have to deal with that unfortunately because that's just that's how it's that's how that's how it's happened isn't it that's that's what happens when you move from one club to a promotion rival directly and 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 that delay and obviously the money you do right exactly it's all about the the way in which it happened and for sure you know there was he was a player he was a captain and you would assume that someone like that would have a you know a good reputation but you know you have to be aware that there's two sides to the coin and that that's how it's how it's going to be and um it doesn't help that Bournemouth are playing in a in a not so attractive style I mean obviously they came back last night didn't they from from behind but um it plays into plays into the, to the old narratives here as well. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah set it's set up nicely going forward as a fixture. Anyway, I mean Jack, we received uh, a couple of emails from people saying uh, one particular here from from Andrew Stanley who uh, questioned me saying that uh, I felt like Scott Parker took it a bit personally. Um, <laughs> he then he goes Andrew after being Stanley, slagged I'm off. I'm pretty every- sure he's Scott Parker's burner account. <laughs> <laughs> he says after being slagged off every single week on the Fulham podcasts um Sammy asked a couple of weeks ago whether the podcast was obsessing about Parker um only if a negative comment every week from the start of the season is obsessing <laughs> some people in the fan base are a bit fed up of the whole Scott Parker thing and would like to, to be parked in no pun intended I assume yeah would like it to be parked in the 21-22 season um, where do you stand on it? It's almost Jack? like emotion in football is a bad thing. Like, uh, you, you know me, but I believe that football is about storylines. It's about narratives. It's about all of these things. And Scott Parker has played into every single one of those narratives. I don't think that we should be completely, I've said this from the start. I don't think we should be writing off what Scott, Scott Parker achieved, right? To go and win promotion in quite a tricky season and then end it in the fashion that it did against Brentford in the playoffs deserves the credit it was due, Right. And, and that should not be taken away from it. I think that you look at the next season, you think isolating and, 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 and basically making Mitrovic feel like it was him or Parker saying, and then nearly losing the club, a player who has gone on to score 41 goals this season, breaking record after record after record, um, and been voted the championships player of the season is something to be concerned about. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, I'd say the mannerisms in which he left the club um, are something to be concerned about. Um, I would say that the, the kind of some of the comments that he's come out with in the last couple of weeks are things to be concerned about. Um, and I think all of this plays into a narrative that Scott Parker is enjoying. Um, you know, he might not have enjoyed it in terms of on the pitch, on the sidelines, all of those things for the, for the season. Um, and, and obviously his comments after the game about the Fulham fans suggest that he, he feels a bit hard done by. Um, part of me thinks he's playing up to his role. 
um, and, and trying to instigate some needle here and trying to give himself something to hang on to with the Bournemouth fan base, who are currently quite disillusioned with the job he is doing in some ways. Um, and, and you see that the discussion saying we played in, in December, we were playing great football. We were, you know, look pretty much shoe-ins. Now we have a do or die game against Nottingham Forest. Um, and that's only if they win the game at the weekend, right? It, 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 there's some consternation there. I'd imagine that Parker is saying some things here to to try and win his fans back on side as well. So, yes, in some ways there is, you can call it what you like, right? If you want to say, yeah, it's an obsession, that's fine. You can say what you like. But ultimately, for me, this is what football is about. It's about these narratives, these storylines. You know, if you cross a divide, you're going to be given stick for it. That's how it is. Um, and especially if you then decide to prod that divide by suggesting that the team that is currently playing in Marcus Silva style is all of your making and playing in exactly the same way that you did. I, I don't see how anyone can look at that and be like, yeah, fair enough. Reasonable. Like That is not the thought process of a sane human being. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, which is what I mean, look, I'm not saying that he is not what I'm saying is that he's doing that on purpose to wind people up. That, that's a, that's it. No one looks at that and goes, yeah, very similar to this. Like, and, and genuinely isn't trying to have someone on. Surely, like, unless, unless he is genuinely delusional, like there's two options, delusional or on the wind up. And I don't think Scott Parker is delusional for all his faults. I don't think he's delusional. I think he's on the wind up. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're almost making the point of like you know, politicians and prime ministers' approvals ratings always go up when they go to war, don't they? You, you can distract, you can deflect wow. a little wow. bit from the problems at home. It's the same. It's the same, it's the same I mean, concept. You, yeah. <laughs> I get what yeah. you mean. You can't ignore the comments as well. I mean, it's not like it's been played down. It's not, you know, this could easily have been been played down a lot easier the whole thing from from the summer to now could have been tempered but the fact there is that just boom. every now and again there's a needle there's probably even the Mitrovic things with Solanke earlier in the season whether that was on purpose or of course not it was on purpose it like it's all on purpose but, it's all to, like, yeah, it's all a game when he does presses he, he cannot he often carries on talking and can say things um but I I think it comes from somewhere as Jack's saying I think there's, there's no doubt about that, especially, you know, look at the recent comments we've talked about it being identical. I mean, come on, right. You know, that's only going to wind people up. And, and that's why we're in this situation. That's why it's, it still carries so much tension and you get a game like that where, you know, <laughs> both sides feel it. You when, know, it when, when Mohamed Al-Fayed came out and talked about Mark Hughes. Yeah. When Mark Hughes left Fulham. Right. And he said, there is nothing so upsetting as the man who has lost his spark, which is still one of the great lines in football. Um, <laughs> was he obsessed or was he just talking about someone who used to be part of the club and is no longer and now becomes a rival? Because that's how I'd go. All right, we'll move on from Bournemouth. Let's look ahead to Luton Town on Monday, a 5.15 kickoff. It's on Sky. Um, Jack, I think what we'd all love for this one is that the title somehow is wrapped up so that we can lift the trophy at Craven Cottage. That's surely the most important thing going into this match, whether it's one point, whether it's three points um, that Fulham get, I guess the most important thing is that we just get the job done so that by the end of Monday, Fulham are champions. This season hasn't quite had some of the gloss that it deserved. It didn't get a hundred points. Um, it probably will get a hundred goals. It's going to struggle to get to 90 points at, at, at this rate. So Lifting the trophy, though, at home in the penultimate game in front of your own fans, I think is this ending that this season definitely deserves at the very yeah, least. Yeah, all Blackburn, aren't we? 
Ben Burton Diaz <laughs> scoring a hattie against Bournemouth on Saturday. That's what we're after. Um, Are you happy for it to be, you know, before Preston, we were saying, oh, we want it to happen on our terms, on the pitch. We want to win to, to get promoted. In this case, I assume you just take whatever. Wouldn't it just be more enjoyable on the day? As in like... Yeah, it would just be a party, yeah, It would just it? be a party the whole time, yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter. I also think Luton's that... a hard game. It's also one of those where I think that if we won the title, we win, we win against Luton. I think if it's done, we beat Luton. It's like, I think if it's all done on the last day, I think we beat Sheffield United as well. Because I think you're just like, we're here, shackles off, crack on. Um, whereas we're, we're struggling a little bit with pressure, I think. And, and so yeah, I think I mean, that there is an element of just like whatever, whatever now, get it over the... Look, the I'm, I'm glad we won promotion on our own terms. In terms of becoming champions, I'm, I'm happy for it to kind of be whenever, really, to be honest. Like, it just doesn't really matter hugely. It'll be, it'll be a party day on, on Monday, if that's the case. And I think that would be fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy for Blackburn to give us a hand if they fancy it. Um, shouts out Agent Cyrus as well last night getting involved. Enjoyed <laughs> that. Um, I know Ben Jarman's a big Ben Burton Diaz fan, so I'm sure he'll be cheering on his boy on Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it. Like, it. It's just like get this over the line in any stretch, shape or form. And then we can enjoy the last bit and it can allow us to put some gloss back on this season. Obviously going back to those three road reviews and that gloss taken off. I think two wins here against teams who are in the in the zone in in the playoffs would be a, a remarkable way to be like yeah yeah by the way that was a blip we're good we're going to we're going up as champions thanks very much it's been fun um now that's obviously a little bit daydreamy in some ways but ultimately i think that would be a nice end of the season i think that's more likely to happen if blackburn take a point of uh, take a point or three off bournemouth on saturday um also it'd just be quite funny if, if forest jump bournemouth so like I'm just kind of in for that narrative as well. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm kind of in the camp now with the whole Forest Bournemouth thing of I would rather play Bournemouth in the Premier League next season. That's definitely where I'm I'm getting towards now than than I just but, we can well, I mean hey. we can leave this all in the pot. We like you say, you know, people talking about this thing and, and parking it and, and letting it go. I'll tell you where it would be parked if they were in the division below. Yeah, I guess that would help the uh, that would help it ease off a little bit. Um, Peter Luton have had um, a bit of a strange few weeks. I kind of was under the impression that they were flying in the same form that Forest are, but they actually haven't been all of that consistent in the last seven to eight games. They've drawn quite a lot. They've lost a few away from home. They've picked up important wins when they needed to, particularly that win over Forest on Good Friday and then following it up on Easter Monday with the win away at Cardiff. Um, drew one all to Blackpool at the weekend despite taking an early lead. I'm a bit more hopeful of this game than I was against Forest, where I genuinely thought I, I really felt like a, a defeat was coming last night. I look at the threat that Luton pose and I do think I do see a team where Fulham can get a result, particularly as the game's not at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, I mean, I, Luton are your classic pain in the ass team, aren't they? That's just that's their sort of way of playing, the way they press, the way they hurry, the way they work so hard under, under Nathan Jones. So that I don't think it'll ever be an easy game as you say when you when you play like that where you are using your spirit and and your your endeavor really to to really take games to often superior opponents you, you you're going to get tight games and you may fall on the other side of those of those uh, I don't want to say it, I was about to say fine margins but I feel like that's almost like a, a banned phrase now isn't it um it's a little bit think, think of something new uh the the other side of the coin um <laughs> 
Um, so I think you can definitely expect a, a tough game. As we've talked about a lot, you know, going to Fulham is going to a team that's going to be champions is you raise your game for it, don't you? So again, we'll, we'll see the same qualities that we saw at Kenilworth Road, and they're 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 in a position now where you know they're they're still fighting to make sure that they're in the playoffs. You know, there is a pack beneath them. They're not quite there yet. Um, so they again have everything to play for, uh, and you know that like Forest did. Um, they will work damn hard to make sure they get a result. And, um, you know, it's, it's to see where they are on the table has been pretty incredible, to be honest. I think the job Nathan Jones has done is is remarkable, considering their budget relative to the division. Um, there's been some good, but obviously we talked about Steve Cooper as well, but what he's done at Forest, ridiculous. Um, but, but Nathan Jones is right up there as well. There is a big chance that they come into this game at real risk as well, because, you know, you don't win this game and you look at what Luton's running is obviously got Reading on the final day, but, you know, Sheffield United have QPR on Friday night. That's a game that they will expect to win, especially with QPR being injuriesfc.com at the moment. Um, you know, Blackburn are six points behind Luton. Yes, they've got Bournemouth and, and that's not a given by any way, but Millwall are also six points behind. They have Peterborough. Um, they'll expect to win that game at the Den, final game at the Den. So Luton could come into this game realistically in sixth with Millwall breathing down their necks three points behind. It probably, honestly, when when Luton lost to Huddersfield on that Friday night game where they lost 2-0, I was like, Luton are going to fall out of the playoffs. That's going to be the problem. But I think that you look at what was happened with Middlesbrough and that they're still not completely out of it, but their run of form has been absolutely dreadful. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens there. And obviously if they beat Cardiff tonight, they come back into this conversation a little bit, although they've got work to do. Um, so I think what we're looking at here is a really interesting tight race for those fifth and sixth playoff spots. I think Forrest and Huddersfield in third and fourth, fine. Um, but those last, there's sort of five clubs still in the conversation for those last two spots, which is going to be incredibly intriguing. Um, and I do wonder how that pans out with, with, with how Luton approached this game, because ultimately a point probably good enough, I think to secure them that spot, it, it would take something miraculous in, in the other games to happen to, to topple Luton on 73. Um, so I do think, and especially if they have Reading on that final day. So I do wonder if they come into this game and just go a point is, 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 is pretty much all we're here for. And, and just try and just sucker full them in and, and hit on the break. I could see that uh, as well. Um, and, and as you mentioned earlier, I think if Fulham are champions, um, by the time this game gets played, there is a chance that with the shackles off for Fulham and pressure on Luton, it, it could actually all play out in Fulham's favour, which would be nice. Not that there would be a huge amount riding on the game, but I think, I certainly think for the rest of the season, I, I would be very disappointed if we don't get 90 plus Points. I feel like that's not quite a uh, champion worthy point total if you get under 90. You know, we all wanted 100. That's miles off. Obviously, we want to break 100 goals in, and Mitro's record uh, is still uh, within reach for him. But obviously, he'll be looking to get a couple of goals. He's got a decent record uh, against Luton as well. Obviously, scored against them early in the season, scored a hat trick uh, against them. 
in the 3-2 win in the Parker year as well. So fingers crossed uh, he'll be able to bag those goals, bag those all-important goals uh, that will see him equal and then potentially break Guy Whittingham's record. And of course, um, what's uh, what's our man, Peter, that uh, is the club? Uh, Bonzo Newton, is it? Frank Bonzo Newton? Yeah, Frank, Frank Newton's 43 goals, 1931-32. Uh, so hopefully he gets to that. Bonzo! <laughs> can break the uh, club record as well, which would be nice. Uh, right, we'll take a break there. And then the final part, we'll answer some of your questions and we've got this all catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast with Sammy, Jack and Peter. Uh, let's do some of your questions before getting into this will catch on. Uh, Josh asks, evening chaps, question for the pod. As it's looking likely that either Burnley or Everton will be heading down this season, what are your thoughts on looking to acquire Pickford, Godfrey or Keane? Alternatively, Pope, me or Tarkovsky? Uh, my preference would be Tarkovsky as a centre-back with a fair bit of Prem experience. Would surely be a good fit to partner Tosin rather than gambling, bringing someone in from abroad. Uh, don't know if we'll get Anderson lucky twice. Many thanks for all the great content. Fantastic for the long commutes. That's from Josh. Um, Jack, I think it's looking more likely that it's going to be Bur- um, Burnley staying up rather than Everton um, at the moment. Um, it is interesting though. I, I, I mean, I'll be very happy from a Fulham perspective if Everton do go down because that's a that's another big team that's not going to be in the Premier League next year. I think that makes our lives a lot easier because I, I can't see Everton being this bad two seasons in a row. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be Everton. And I completely agree with you. I, I think this is it. You'd rather have Burnley in the league from a Fulham perspective than Everton, not because of any ill will towards Everton. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'd much rather go to Goodison Park than Turf Moor um, away day in Liverpool. Oh, hard disagree. Hard disagree. Well, only because of our Matt record. Turf Mo- no, well, uh, well, it's not record's not great at Goodison either. That's what I meant. I mean, our record, that would be the only reason. Goodison is, is in Liverpool. Liverpool's an incredible away day. No, it's rub. We did Everton, right? And it's a... Trek to Goodison. Goodison's you rubbish. Weekend in Liverpool. Liverpool's like my favourite city in the UK. You got Burnley Cricket Club and the Cricket Club's class. It's a good away day, Burnley. <laughs> Give me a weekend in Liverpool <laughs> over a cricket club any day of the week. Um, <laughs> okay. But from kind of a Fulham perspective, you want the teams that are going to be stuck in and around you next season because ultimately it's going to be a scrap for survival. And Burnley are always going to be in that conversation. You know, especially they're moving into a new transition without Dyche. How do they you know, cope next season. We don't know yet. Um, they could well be in and around it. I think if Everton survive, they'll get better. Like they'll improve. And with the caliber of squad that they have, uh, I think that would be one less team in the relegation scrap next season. And I could be wrong. Like we could be sitting here in 12 months time, Everton having survived and Everton being right amongst it again. But I do think that if Everton go down, it's probably a better thing for Fulham in general. Um, in terms of players I would nick, I wouldn't pick, I wouldn't take Jordan Pickford. Um, whilst he's always been excellent at international level, I feel like his club form leaves something to be desired. Um, I think he's the kind of player that would make Fulham fans panic talking about what we were talking about earlier in the season, uh, earlier in the episode. Um, so I think I wouldn't pick him up. I quite like Michael Keane. I've got to say, I've, uh, I think Ben Godfrey's a, a, good, a good player, but he'll go higher up. I quite like Michael Keane. I I understand that he's been absolutely dreadful this season. I am aware of that. I'm not I'm not just making like random by like judgment. But I do think over the course of his career, he's been a relatively steady footballer. Um, and that isn't the worst thing in the world if you're trying to, you know, coach someone in. I don't think I, I would have Godfrey over any of them, but I don't think Godfrey will come to Fulham. Um aside from that, 
I mean, it, it's a kind of pick. I think it's going to be a pick and mix from Everton if 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 they go down. So it's going to be interesting. I wonder if Silva would come in for Abdullah Decore from Everton. I think he was a player who's quite important to both his time at Watford and then also at, at Everton in that midfield as an eight. Um, I guess it depends a bit on what's happening with with Anguissa too. But um, if we're looking to bolster midfield, I could see him looking at that. And you do wonder would would uh, could he persuade Richarlison? Um, to come in on that left-hand side. I don't know what uh, Jack thinks about that. Uh, I hear Real Madrid are in, so probably not. <laughs> it's like I mean, it's similar. Like, yeah, similar. Play in white, have a nice time, you know, <laughs> picturesque location. Capital um, City. But, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure we could... We'd, look, stranger things have happened. Far more stranger things have happened than, than a player like Richardson rocking up at Fulham. Um, but I do struggle with the idea decore i'd like a lot that would be that would be a good good addition imo one more here that i don't know if it's really like so much of a question here but matt wall said head of the luton game is there any way the club and supporters can come together to commission and unveil a huge mitrovic banner if not now on the back of a 40 goal plus promotion season when uh, something needs to be done to commemorate it in a giant mitra picture i think we've left it too late yeah this is what i was about to get to is surely warranted i assume it would be in the hammersmith end but another idea could be to roll it out from the top tier of the riverside um as you say jack unless the club have got something up their sleeve um, and I haven't heard anything, it is possibly too late. I don't know. Like, obviously I see like Palace come up with big TIFOs. Oh, I like a TIFO. Do you think it would, is something that could work at Fulham? You, you've obviously got at Newcastle, you've got the war flags who have really transformed the atmosphere there. I just, I, I always think these things with Fulham, is is it ever realistic that these kind of things are, are, are going to happen? Stuff doesn't happen unless you make it happen. Like ultimately, um, th- that's it. You know, these people who have changed the atmospheres at their grounds, be that you know, be that in a way that you like or not. And I know the the Palace Homestyle Ultras have their critiques, um, and I don't think they're perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they have improved the atmosphere at Selhurst Park. I think that's absolutely without doubt. Um, I think you see something similar for the Huddersfield, who have a similar thing, don't they? The cow shed or something. Um, who they have, they have a little ultra section. And whilst it may not to be every to to everybody's taste, and I completely appreciate that, and I completely appreciate that lots of clubs are like, "Wee, this is ridiculous." Ultimately, I think anything that improves the atmosphere is probably, um, you know, probably a bonus. I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Europe covering European football, watching European football, and the atmospheres on the continent are always bolstered by drums by flags by you know people with megaphones at times um and yes there is an element of i think there's an element of people are like oh that's embarrassing um in england which they just don't have on the continent they're just like yeah why would i not be as vocal as i possibly could be supporting my team um but yeah I, i don't think it's likely but as i say these things don't happen unless somebody makes them happen and and ultimately it's on it's on someone to decide that that's gonna they're gonna change things if you fully want tifos we need to create TIFOs and, and, and plan them. That's They take a lot of effort, a lot of work. You know, you see, I've seen, you know, fans in Italy in particular creating TIFOs. There's a lot of painting that goes on. So, I mean, there's a lot of work behind the scenes that I don't think people, I don't know, can be bothered maybe with in, in England would be the, with the truth. So can I order this online? No, you but you paint it. Like that's what TIFOs are. Well, you can't, you can order big banners and sure, things. Sure, but on, like TIFOs on, are... On, Famously, like especially on the continent, they are homemade. They are things that are built by the fans to be unveiled by the fans. They're not, 
you know, yeah. oh, I, I ordered this online and it arrived, you know, and we rolled it down. It's these things are lovingly crafted by the fan base. And that's what makes them special and what makes them unique and what makes them amazing. But you see like some of the big displays in Newcastle, they're obviously bought. Like they I think some I think their massive one, which is the uh Huawei the Mags or whatever, was bought in from Poland and um it covers the whole of the Gallagher end. And it's amazing. But as you say, I, I follow war flags and they are fundraising throughout the entire year. Um there are people that go around St. James's Park on a Friday before games, putting flags on every seat and collecting them afterwards, and like it's a full-time job or like a big full-time hobby, um, to run it. I think I look, look, I'm not here chastigating Matt, but I, I, it's all very lovely and, and stuff, but I think you're hundred percent right. Jack is like, it's a great idea. Would, would a Metro banner be amazing? Yes. I just don't know. Anyone willing I, I to, anyone willing to go to, you know, Bishop's park on the weekend and paint a gigantic Mitrovic banner because that's <laughs> what they be- do in Naples. Yeah, I don't think anyone needs to be painting anything, but still, even just ordering something online that's that big uh, takes a little bit of uh, logistics time and, and, and thought. But yeah, I, I, as one of those, lovely idea. I, I don't 100% know uh, what to ask you about it, but thank you for the email anyway, Matt. And um, look, it's not certainly not a, a ridicule of, of you or the idea. I think it's great. No, yeah, but I'm not 100%, 100% sure. like Fulham should be thinking about this and we should be thinking about this as a fan base, but we need to get organised. Yeah, 100%. Right, let's do this or catch on as a bit of fun for the end of the podcast. The first one, uh, you might recognise this name, uh, Jack, is from Finn Whitaker. Yes. Recognise the name? Yes, I do. He said, sorry, I couldn't be at the Fulhamish event to deliver my chant in person, Mike Skinner style. Thank you, Charlie Cooper. <laughs> All I say is that great poems don't necessarily rhyme, but I've revamped my Tosin chant, added a backing track, and I think this one will satisfy the rhyming police. Yeah. So Finn did the chant for Tosin Adrobio to Sugar Sugar by the Archies. And so he has come back with version two, um, and I'll see what you both think of it. Tosin Oh Adrabaya He is my centre back and he's Fulham through and through <laughs> Tosin Oh Adrabaya Playing out from the back and the man is fucking huge. <laughs> Excellent. It's the best final line. <laughs> he has stuck two fingers up to the feedback and just gone in twice as hard with non-rhyming lines and still made it work. I've got to rate it. I mean, he has now double rhymed. So he's like, he rhymed back and back <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then huge and through through and huge <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair there's some half rhymes in there i'm 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 gonna declare myself satisfied uh well done finn fantastic I, I love how you just completely and utterly were like no rude my song um and, <laughs> and I, I you know what i'm fully here for it it's a straight up nine and a half from me quality love it Thank you. Yeah, it is quality. Peter, your thoughts? Very good. I'm, I'm on board. I think that's great. 
enjoyed it. I love it. Uh, I anyone, could, I could... anyone who sticks two fingers up to Jack is always going to get my vote. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mike Bam. Skinner vibe still there. As Charlie Kitt was a brilliant line when uh, he said it is still there. He's very much got a, a career in the kind of um, lo-fi rapping. Uh, it's, uh, it's very, very enjoyable, Finn. Right, final one for today. This is from Martin, who um, collared me as I was leaving my aisle last night in the Hammersmith fan. He's like, Sammy, mate, I've um, sent you this will catch on. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, just uh, playing it or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. What was that? What was your name? I was like, ah. yeah, 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 was of it- course. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's your name? He was like, Martin. And then I went back through the emails and found Martin's email. Um, it is very good. So he said, loving that this will catch on. And whilst I would never not want to shout ream from the Hammersmith end, I think he deserves more. True. This will clearly never catch on, especially the intro because it just can't. But the chorus, who knows? Think Bill Withers and lovely day. <laughs> Obviously ignore slash ridicule. If this has been attempted before um, he's given the lyrics and he can only apologize for the attachment. Now what I've done here is I liked it a cappella, but it needed music. So what I've done is I have put Martin's words to an instrumental and uh, well, I'll, I'll leave the rest to be decided by you guys. When I wake up on a Saturday With three points on my mind Something there inside of me Wants a clean sheet to this time (laughs) I look down the back And all I see is quality between our two full backs. This is so pleasant. <laughs> we have Tosin and Tim Reed. Love 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 Tim Reed. And all I see is quality is one of the lines of all time. Oh, God. All I see is quality. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. Uh, what can a ten. you say? It's a 10. Straight yeah. 10. Oh, it's one of the best we've had. It could right, probably do there. both centre backs in that because he so talks about between two fullbacks and goes, you know, Tim Ream and Tosin. But he did love Tim Ream, love to see yeah. him. I don't know. Oh, you can yeah. mix it up, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think it might take can... away from the pure the pureness of heart involved <laughs> yeah. in this whole thing. I just uh it was so nice. That's the yeah. thing about it. I was like, this is so nice. Like there's so much like wholesomeness. I feel like I feel better about my whole life having listened to that. Oh God! Normally, oh, I come yeah. out of these and I am like genuinely having an existential crisis. I feel uplifted and moved. Um, Martin, you have made my day. 
Yeah, Martin, it's absolutely um, exceptional. I'm so glad that you collared me at the Hammersmith end um, to make sure that was played. I hope you don't mind me putting to the music because it was just too good uh, not to have the uh, the backing track to it. I think we'll give that one another rendition at the end of the podcast if you guys want to listen to it again. It's, uh, it's that good. Anyway, Jack, what would you like to go for as the pod name? Is it going to be Shit Ref of Nottingham? I really want it to be Shit Ref of Nottingham. I don't think we should call it that. <laughs> just <laughs> Troubles our PG status as a podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Dave MCC1's Trent Troubles Thames. Very, very good. Thank you for that one. Perfect pod name. Uh, a lovely pod uh, today to take the uh, words out of Martin today. Um, thank you to my guest, Peter Rutzler. <laughs> thank you, Sally. That was a terrible soap, wasn't it? Jack? It was thank unbelievably you, bad. I loved it. Um, yeah, thank you, Sammy. It was a pleasure. It was one of those accidental ones that I tried to save from the abyss and actually I just ended up making it 10 times worse. Uh, have a lovely bank holiday weekend. We will be doing a pod straight after the Luton game. Uh, it's going to be a few of the, uh, the Fulhamish originals. Um, Jack, you're going to come down to the pub and uh, record a, a nice post Luton pod with us. Yeah, absolutely. All fun and games, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, Drew, Ben, Farrell, all going to be down there. We just thought as it's Bank Holiday Monday, um, it'd be nice to do something afterwards. And fingers crossed, we'll be drinking in celebration at the fact that Fulham have managed to clinch the title over the weekend. We shall wait and see. But until then, enjoy the long weekend. And hopefully Fulham can get that trophy on Monday. What a weekend it promises to be. So until then, can we wait? You wait. When I wake up on a Saturday With three points on my mind Something there inside of me Wants a clean sheet to this time I look down the back And all I see is quality Between our two full backs, we have Tosin and Tim Ream. Love Tim Ream, 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 love Tim Ream.